The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Ecclesia, will you take a moment and pray with me? Lord God, we thank you that you loved us enough to enter this world, that you entered into pain and suffering, and then in your presence, you brought hope. You brought the ultimate hope that we would be a people that would not even need to fear death. You conquered sin, and you left us to be your hands and feet, the people that represent your love in the midst of great brokenness. And we pray today, God, that as we open the scriptures, as we gather together today, that you would do a work in our hearts. We pray this together, and we pray it in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia on the west side. I, um, I'm always thrilled uh, to be in this spot with you, to get to teach you. You are my people. I get fired up to be uh, at both of these uh, services. One of the reasons I get fired up is because our people on the west side, which, by the way, I'm glad that some of you are here. Following social media, it felt like most of our west side campus is currently in Aspen, and it made me feel like maybe we should open Ecclesia Aspen in the coming weeks, so I'm praying about that right now, and I'm glad that some of you are not in Aspen, but there are many that are there, and it's really easy to worship Jesus in zero humidity. It's just so, it just flows from your heart so naturally. Uh, but one of the reasons I love you is that we are kind of a get things done crew around here. It's evidenced by a lot of the things you see around. One of our first weeks, I think it was our first week in this room, I told you we, we were gonna work on a strategy for coffee and tacos and the team here does an amazing job. Uh, but we had a few people come up and help make an investment in, uh, in our long-term strategy for tacos and coffee. And, uh, and we have been renovating that project since we got it from New Orleans. I just sent a photo, Stephen, do you have it? It's gonna be back here. This is our trolley car that will serve tacos and coffee. And it's open if you wanna to just tour it. In the future, you won't be able to tour it because people will be cooking inside of it. Um, but today, if you wanted to tour it, it's an authentic New Orleans streetcar. So you don't find those uh, just every day. And we think it's the coolest food truck in Texas. It's just, uh, you're gonna absolutely uh, love it. And it fits uh, in a lot of ways with what we're talking about today. But before we really begin the message, I wanna take a moment uh, as we try to every year as school starts to pray for our teachers. So uh, if you are a teacher or you work in any way in any of our schools with children at any level uh, all the way up, would you stand and give us a moment just to pray for you, we have many teachers in this room, as you can see. And, um, so some of you are already back in the swing of things. Some of you are starting back this week. We just wanna be really clear for a moment on why we're praying for you. One, uh, because what you do is calling and it's a gift and you've chosen it not to get rich, um, but to serve our kids. and and we believe it's an admirable and a God-given vocation and calling. And then we wanna pray for you on a few levels. Um, one, that our schools would be safe places that you would feel safe this year and that your students would feel safe. And that as well, that you would have the, what we believe, your job's a little bit like mine. I feel like I show up and I do not have the gifts on any day to do what I do. I need the Holy Spirit to come and reveal things to me that I don't know. And you need that every day with kids that you don't know what's going on, but we really believe God can speak 
to you and through you uh, for those kids. So if you're close to one of those people and you know them, you can even put your hand on them and we're just gonna take a moment and pray for you. So Lord God, we thank you for the remarkable teachers in this room. We thank you for the fact that they love kids and that they get to invest in a time in their life, whether it's preschool or whether it's high school or university, where these kids can be transformed. And we believe, Lord, that every one of our children needs desperately to hear, not only from their family, but from teachers and from the church, that they're created in the image of God, that they're loved by God. And we believe that the way that these teachers in the room handle these students, the way that they speak to them, the way that they show forgiveness, the way that they demonstrate in their lives lives, what it looks like to love you and to love other people, that it's a gift to each of these kids. And so, Lord, we pray for patience. We pray that in the midst of times that are going to be really trying and hard, when they're going to be right at their wit's end, that you just give them an extra amount of patience. We pray for safety. We pray, Lord, supernaturally this year that across our country and the world, that schools would be a safe place, that you'd do something to protect our schools and our students. And we pray especially for our teachers that they will help the students to feel safe so that they're in an environment where they can feel loved, they can learn, they can relax. And Lord, we pray as well that for each of these brothers and sisters, that you give them a supernatural gift, that your Holy Spirit would whisper in their ear about certain students what they need, some things that may be happening at home, and that they would be able to adjust, not because they know or they studied and they learned something, but very clearly because you love these kids enough um, to guide each of these teachers towards the path that is right for them. God, we believe in all of our hearts that our, these brothers and sisters have been offering their lives in a way that deserves such honor. May we celebrate them well today and this year. We pray this together. And we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Teachers, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Um, and what we're talking about today, I hope that uh, teachers are also encouraged, but it, it will hit for all of us educationally. We're going to look a bit uh, at history, and particularly um, the questions that you ask when you're studying history, and I believe some of the questions uh, that are important to ask when we're studying the Bible. And part of what I want to suggest to you today is that the primary question that we're, we should be asking when we open and study and read the Bible is, who are we? Who are we in relation to God? Who are we in relation to one another? And what does that look like? One of the things we learned last year is that you can find out a lot about who you are uh, when crisis hits. So it seems crazy that today is a uh, one-year anniversary for when Harvey rolled in. And, um, and I'm going to tell you more in the coming weeks. You're going to hear we're working on a sermon that will really summarize uh, a lot of reports of what's happened at Ecclesia. Uh, over the last year as we've responded to Harvey. And you really, there is no way to tell you all the stories. It'd be impossible to tell you the stories of even what's happened with the people that are staying here on our campus and did stay here on our campus. They went to serve all over the city. What's happened with our, uh, what we thought was our East Downtown campus that, uh, that couldn't come to fruition because TxDOT had other plans for it. And uh, I'm going to tell you more about the deal that we were able to come to with TxDOT that allowed us to get out of that property and allow World Vision to step into that property where they've been running a warehouse that's been bringing uh, goods that are needed for rebuilding and reconstruction for free to people all across our city. And it's been an unbelievable partnership. We're going to tell you more about some of what we're doing recently, even as we've realized that at the year mark, we have a lot of families um, that have not been able to replace the cars that they lost since Harvey. And so we've just been able to step in and say, in Houston, it's really hard to hold down a job if you don't have a car. 
and uh, being able to have transportation to get your, your kids to school and to doctor's appointments is really important. And so um, over the last week, we've been calling a lot of the people that have nominated their friends or coworker or neighbor, or in one case, uh, one of our Ecclesians who is battling prostate cancer nominated his nurse that's caring for him uh, who needed a car. Uh, and we've been getting back with those people to let them know, hey, the person you nominated is gonna get a car. Um, so this last week, Kelly on our staff was calling uh, our warehouse supervisor at World Vision because she nominated a coworker who lost his car in Harvey and needed a car. And she said, this is getting kind of awkward because I'm in the car with him right now. Um, and so I need to talk carefully about I don't want to let him know. And she said, well, just tell him. And so they got off the phone and she told him and she shot a quick video with her iPhone. So this uh, is uh, Richard finding out that Ecclesia is going to get him uh, a new car. Richard, so I nominated you to get a new car through Ecclesia. So you are being given by Ecclesia Church after Hurricane Harvey a 2018 Nissan hatchback um, Nissan Sentra Volt, note, note, and it is going to be a gift to you. All you have to provide is your license and proof of insurance. Oh my God, thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> really? Yes, Ecclesia. Thank you. Oh, oh my God. Baby. I just got, oh my, really? Yes. Oh, is he on the phone? It's a video oh, I'm taking oh, so I can oh show them. Oh my God. Them. Oh my God. Oh Lord Jesus. Oh my God. I feel like Publisher's Clearinghouse. Oh my God. <laughs> so what? anyway, you want, if you want to tell Ecclesia, thank you. Ecclesia, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Ecclesia. Oh, oh my God. Okay, uh, I'm gonna turn it off. Yes. <laughs> so Ecclesia, we're gonna get a lot of those moments. There are more than them we can share together. What I want to remind you regularly is that it's great to be a part of a church. It's great to be a part of a church that we can do things together that we could never do on our own. None of us could do these things on our own. And yet together, it's going to be unbelievable to hear even a fraction of what God's been able to do through our church as we get to respond to a city that's had great need. And you know what? In the midst of doing that, one of the great things you're gonna hear is that we didn't stop caring for our brothers and sisters across the globe. We didn't shut any of those things down. We didn't back away from any of the things we've been called to. We just said, we believe we can do both. And it's been amazing to see what God has done through you, and I can't wait to report more about that. Today we're gonna to look at um, a subject that fascinates me, and we're gonna look at it through the lens of scripture, and it's really about uh, history. Years ago I read a book uh, written by a Stanford professor. His name is Sam Weinberg, and uh, Sam Weinberg's first book that I read was a, a book called Historical Thinking and Other Unnatural Acts. Um, and Sam Weinberg essentially says this in the book, he, um, he critiques the way that we teach history in the public schools in the United States. And uh, you could skip about half the book and just watch a bunch of those videos that Jay Leno used to do, and there are a bunch of them on YouTube where people go out and ask like, random people like, hey, what's the First Amendment? And you realize like out of 100 people, like one person knows the First Amendment, or they'll go ask them, what continent are we on? And they don't know what a continent is. And um, it's really depressing uh, on a number of levels, uh, especially for the educators in the room. And, um, but 
Part of what it, it tells us, and Sam Weinberg suggests, is that, uh, that the way that we teach history in public schools in the United States has been deeply flawed. And this is essentially what he says. He says, uh, from the time you're in grade zero to grade 12, there are 1.2 million facts that educators have agreed. These are the facts that need to be taught to students. And so much of what happens is that those facts become things that you need to memorize so that you can pass your test. So if you're like me, you likely remember doing this, right? Reading the night before, trying to memorize the facts that you needed to memorize, and then writing them down on the test. And maybe you were like me, you had that feeling like as soon as you wrote that down, that fact left your brain and it was gone forever, right? It just, that's all you did. You just like, you had it there in short-term memory, you put it down on the paper and you'll never remember it again. And what Sam Weinberg says is that our brains aren't made to hold random facts. They don't have a place to hold together. He says, our brains are made for stories. And what happens is, if you have a story, part of what I'd suggest to you, if you know a lot about uh, the American Revolution, I would suggest to you that you have likely read some historical novels about the American Revolution, that you've probably watched some films, maybe you've seen some plays, but you've been given a sense of the story. And what he says, Sam Weinberg says, is once you have a sense of the whole story, the story will create what is like a pegboard for you, Anybody remember pegboards? Do we even have them anymore? They exist. And he says, literally, the pegboard, then you've got a place to stick the facts, and the facts will have a place to hold. Does that make sense to everybody? And so what happens is if you watch a film, like the film I'm going to share with you about today, we've been looking at great films this summer that Sean and I love, and I really wanted to share with you about one of my films. I wrote a, a book on it, uh, on the Matrix films. It's filled with symbolism, um, all kinds of things about Christianity in it. Um, but I only have a few weeks and I'm limited. One of the, the Matrix is so good, literally, you can watch the film. The story is so powerful that as you watch it, you literally forget that Keanu Reeves can't act. It doesn't occur to you uh, how bad he is because the film is actually that good. Um, but I wanted to look at some pieces of history that might um, illustrate what we're gonna look at. So today we're gonna look at what I believe to be one of the greatest films in recent history, a film called Amistad by Steven Spielberg. How many of you have seen Amistad? So a lot that have not. Um, so this is always crushing to me in all these services because I put it literally in my top five. Um, so this is the place that when I come to you, I'm in part saying, please watch this film. And yet I know there are some of you that you're so rebellious, you're like, you're just a pastor. You're not the Pope. You don't get to tell us what to do, right? And uh, so I'm not telling you what to do. Uh, but if I was the Pope, I'm wondered, like the Ecclesia Pope, and I, could t I wouldn't tell you to eat fish on Friday. I don't care whether you eat fish on Friday, but I would say everybody has to watch this film every five years because it's really, it's really that good. So I'm hoping uh, that you will watch it and, uh, and experience it with me. This is the thing. The reason I care about this and the reason we're going to talk about this film is that I think what Sam Weinberg talks about is not just important for history teachers, it's important for the church that often what we've done is we've made the exact same mistake in the way that we teach the Bible and the way we do discipleship in the church. We've invited people to memorize facts about God, which are not always helpful, right? You can know a lot of facts about God. In my, in my experience, those facts don't necessarily transform you to make you more like Jesus. In fact, sometimes being really Bible smart is actually a deficit for your character. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when you're really Bible smart and you know you're really Bible smart, right? You become that person. Maybe you've been that person before 
that you're reading the Bible and you're thinking as you're reading that thing of the Bible, like this is gonna be really helpful in that argument I'm gonna get in later because I'm gonna really show them how right I am, right? Anybody know that person? Don't point to them if they're in the room, but this is what you need to know. Like if you are that person, nobody likes that person, nobody. Their families don't like them. Right now their families are praying that they will not come home for Christmas. Because if you think the Bible's something to argue about, right? If you think the Bible's something that you win over, then you've missed the point of the Bible. The Bible invites us to be transformed and become more like Jesus who was humble to the point that we can hardly fathom, who was a servant. If you read the Bible well, it shapes your character. It makes you the person that you're supposed to be. And so today we're gonna look at what what does that look like to have a sense of the whole story and we're gonna gather a few things that I think we can learn particularly from this film Amistad. And so since only a small fragment of you have seen the film, let me just give you a really quick summary and I'm gonna show you a trailer and then one of the really important clips uh, in the film. This is what you need to know, that in a time uh, in history in the middle passage of slavery, there were a number of countries that were beginning to acknowledge the corruption of the slave trade and the reality that this was unethical, it was wrong. And people were trying to shut it down, Um, but in pockets it was still thriving. And this is the true story, the historical narrative uh, of a group of Mende people in Sierra Leone that were captured by slave traders. They would go in, literally kidnap and capture them, men, women, and children, bring them to a slave fortress, load them in shackles onto a ship, and then transport them to the Americas. And in this story of Amistad, the true story is that one of the men, uh, the leaders really among those people, he was able to break his chains on the ship. He was able to free himself. And when he freed himself, he began to free others. And then they went and they slayed their captors on the high seas. And all of a sudden, they're free, but they're, they end up, the ship ends up in North America in the United States and it becomes an international incident. The the ship is owned by Spain. There are Cuban sailors that are claiming ownership to it, and you have a people that have been kidnapped illegally uh, and have been captured, and the courts in the United States have to come to a decision on what will be done. Um, The courts, it rises to several levels. What you're gonna see in this short clip is a little bit about the film in general, and then uh, um, an exchange uh, between a freed slave who became an abolitionist as many Christians did. What you're gonna hear in this story is it's the group of Christians that believed that slavery did not fit with the ethic of Christianity and the truth of Christianity that began to fight for the freedom both for these Mende people from Sierra Leone and other slaves. This is uh, Morgan Freeman plays an abolitionist who was a freed slave and he's in a conversation uh, with former president John Quincy Adams. What you need to know that's amazing about this story is that this former president is advising at this point on the case, but ultimately in the film and in the story you'll learn that he takes on the case when it goes to the Supreme Court uh, and it makes it historic. Can you imagine having a former president uh, re-embracing his calling as a lawyer and then fighting uh, for justice in such a way? So here's a short clip uh, and an an exchange that'll be helpful uh, from Amistad. Yeah. 
by officers of the survey brig off the coast of Long Island. I can only assume that the charge is murder. We do hereby claim salvage on the high seas of the Spanish ship La Amistad and all her cargo. Your Honor, here are the true owners of these slaves. These slaves, Your Honor, are by rights the property of Spain. This could take us all one long step closer to civil war. Immediately surrender! These goods! Our president has appealed the decision to our Supreme Court. We have to try the case again. If it was you handling the case. But it isn't me. Thank God for that. But if it was, sir, huh? what would you do? Well, when I was an attorney uh, a long time ago, young man, I, uh, I realized after much trial and error that in the courtroom, Whoever tells the best story wins. In unlawyer-like fashion, I give you that scrap of wisdom free of charge. Much obliged for your time, sir. What is their story, by the way? Sir? What is their story? West Africa? No. What is their story? Uh. Mrs. Jolson, you're from where originally? Why, Georgia, sir. Georgia? Yes, sir. Does that pretty much sum up what you are, a Georgian? Is that your story? No. You're an ex-slave who's devoted his life to the abolition of slavery and overcoming great obstacles and hardships along the way, I should imagine. That's your story, isn't it? <laughs> you and this young so-called lawyer have proven you know what they are. They're Africans. Congratulations. What you don't know, and as far as I can tell, haven't bothered in the least to discover, is who they are. Right? I hope I'm convincing you to actually pop some popcorn and watch the film uh, this week. It's, um, it's a great question. And it's one of those, I think at times, whether we're looking at ourselves or our relationship with God, we, I, I know what they are, but not who they are. One of my favorite things uh, that we do when we, uh, we travel to the Holy Land, I, I love to take Ecclesians to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. One of the places we visit um, is a little Samaritan village. It's a place where you literally travel back in time. There's this 
priest of the Samaritan people, and he'll begin to describe to you like what they do. Uh, the Samaritans believe most of the same things as the Jews. They just believe that the temple was at a different spot, so they believe the temple was at Mount Gerizim, and so they live on Mount Gerizim, and they still believe they are there at the temple, and so they still practice the Passover, which is an amazing barbecue, and I'm gonna join them one day. It's not Texas-style barbecue, but it's not bad, and, uh, and it's a great celebration to God. They practice the Passover, and they still offer sacrifices to God and things that Jews did historically, and they're a fascinating people, but part of what I love when we're there is I will always hear the priest praying the Shema. This passage from Deuteronomy, it's the most important prayer in Jewish life, and I'd suggest to you that it may be one of the most important prayers in Christian life. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Yikad. They just sing it. You'll hear it at the Western Wall being sung often. It's from Deuteronomy 6, and this is what it says. Moses is speaking, and he says, listen, listen, or hear, or really, um, it goes beyond here. It's here in a way that you do something, right? So if you've ever had an argument with your wife or vice versa, some of you like this morning, and uh, she said to you like, you're listening, but I don't think you've heard me. You haven't actually heard me. This is the kind of like, I didn't just listen, I heard, and by hearing it made me respond. In some places, in the, uh, the same Hebrew word is translated obey, so it, it requires action. He says, listen, the eternal is our true God. He alone, you should love him, your true God, with all your heart and soul and with every ounce of your strength. Make the things I'm commanding you today part of who you are. Repeat them for, to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting together in your home and when you're walking together on the road. He goes on and explains. He posted on your door, uh, Put it on your head. Leave notes for yourself everywhere that reminds you what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. He says, this is what it's really about. What's he saying? Make this your story. Your story should be that you love God. So imagine this, and it happens often. An ecclesian comes up to me and says, Pastor Chris, I just got engaged, right? And... Uh, and we'd love for you to do the wedding, right? And uh, this is what I'd do, I'd ask, I'd go, well, hey, I can't wait to meet her. Tell me about her, right? And if he began to tell me about his new fiance and says, you know what, she's fabulous. She is 5'6", she's got brown hair. Um, she scored a 1250 on her SAT, right? Um, and what happened, if you, she begins to, he begins to just tell me facts about her, right? I begin to say, I'm not doing your wedding, right? Because I don't think you know her. You're stalking her, right? <laughs> you know facts about her, you don't know her. If you're in love with her, what you're gonna tell me is, when I first met her, I couldn't believe it. She met a woman on the street who was pregnant and she was living on the street and she had addictions and she welcomed her in her home and she helped her get sober and it's the kind of woman that she is and I love her and I wanna spend the rest of my life with her. And then I'd go, I'll totally do your wedding if it's in Hawaii. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, right, that's what it means to know somebody. We know their story and if we only know facts about God, if we only know facts about each other, that's not really knowing them. And so today we wanna to ask some questions about what does it look like to live into the story that God made for us. And this is what I want you to hear. Um, every one of us has a story. We have a story that's unique. We have a calling that's unique. 
And part of living in Christian community means we begin to step forward and bring all of who we are. We begin to get, let people know beyond the facts of who we are, what you'd find on your online social media profile, and we found it the essence of who we are. In 1 Peter, Peter reminds us this, in 1 Peter 3, he says, why would anyone harm you if you eagerly do good, even if you should suffer for doing what is right? You will receive a blessing. Don't let them frighten you. Don't be intimidated, but exalt him as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to offer a defense, humbly and respectfully. When someone asks you why you live in hope, keep your conscience clear so that those who ridicule your good conduct in the anointed and say bad things about you will be put to shame. What's Peter reminding us? He's saying, if we live with a different set of values than the rest of the world, everyone will take notice. If we live loving the same things and caring about the same things, no one will notice. And so he says, be ready as you live out your unique story for someone to come and ask you, why do you live with such hope? What is it about you? The hard part for us is we go, hey, no one's really asked me the question. Then it prods some places in us that we say, are we living the story that God made for us to live? Because what we want to do is live out the values of Jesus and then be ready as we do for people to come and say, this does not seem normal to me. The way that you generously share what you've been given, the way that you treat people, whether you can get something from them or not. Do you think in Houston, Texas, even in Houston, Texas, great city, that people would notice if you treat people the same, even people you don't need anything from? Even if you treat those who serve you whether you're in a restaurant, wherever you are, with the kind of dignity and respect that's unusual in our culture, right? That's the calling that God has given to us. Secondly, this is part of what you need to know. Every great story is seeking a purpose. We're a people that are made to live for something more than us. And if every morning we, morning we wake up and it's only about satisfying our desires, and trust me, I've got a ton of them too, and I live in this city in the same way that you do, and the reality is one of the great curses on my life is that I often can get what I want. So if I wake up in the morning and I want barbecue, I can get it, right? I got places that will put barbecue in my eggs and make a taco of it. That is like every part of God's grace coming together in a way that's beautiful and holy. And yet the reality is like I can make life about, was it good? Did I get what I wanted to eat today? Did I get what, and I'm just telling you, you know it just as well as I know it. That's not the fullness of life. It's a nice topping from time to time, right? And when you got a bad day, a, a little bit of brisket on your, uh, Taco won't hurt anything, but it's not the reason you're alive. God created you for a unique purpose, to serve in his kingdom, and you're the only one that can do exactly what he made you to do. And when you begin to realize that you are made to live out that purpose, you find that it's a gift. In 1 John 3, John puts it this way. Imagine John walked with Jesus. He was the beloved disciple. He, he'd experienced so much with Jesus, and now he's an older man on this island called Patmos, and he's writing these letters to these people that he loved, and he just wants to encourage them. And this is what he says. He says, consider the kind of extravagant love the Father has lavished on us. He calls us children of God. 
It's true, we are his beloved children. In the same way this world didn't recognize him, the world does not recognize us either. My loved ones, we have been adopted into God's family and we are officially his children now. He says, he's our father. And ultimately, he's also our mother. He goes on and says, the full picture of our destiny is not yet clear. Now, this is what you need to know. Whether you're in your teens, 20s, 40s, or 60s, there's still a place for us that we go, I don't really know or understand the fullness of my destiny. I don't know what God has for me next. John says, that's okay. But we know this much. We don't know fully all of our destiny, all of our purpose, but we know this much. When Jesus appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is and all those who focus their hopes on, say it with me, on him and his coming seek to purify themselves just as he is pure. Where do we focus our hope? On Jesus. And so whatever else we get to do, however else we get to serve, great. But if our hope is in him, it changes everything, literally everything. Then I want to show you one more clip from the film, and we'll talk about it before we come to communion. Um, this is, I think, likely my favorite uh, clip in the film. And part of what you will see in it is that every person is made with a longing to know this story, the story of Jesus, the real story of redemption. And that even with very little information, what you're gonna see in this clip is the, the Mende people who are captive in prison as their court process unfolds in the United States. There were a group of missionaries that would come and pray for them, they would sing to them, they were always dressed in black, they couldn't understand what they were saying, the Mende people, so they often just said, these people seem really depressed and sad and they're not that great as singers, and, but they keep coming. And they ultimately gave the Mende people a Bible, which is a bit ironic because they don't read in English. And, um, and yet they gave them this Bible. But inside the Bible, there were a few illustrations. And this is what I want you to see. Even with a little bit of information, we're so made for this story that they began to put together the pieces to understand uh, the story of Jesus. Yamba, 
just a little bit of information that our hearts are made to know and understand this story. And my fear for us, Ecclesia on the West Side, is that too often we can forget that the people around us are also longing desperately to hear the story of the one who made all things, who loves all people and is seeking to redeem all things. There were a people that are called to tell that story, to offer that story up. Ultimately, what we know in this story was that many of the Mende people, most of them came to faith in Jesus. In fact, um, we work with churches in Sierra Leone with Living Water that can trace their history back to the Mende people who were brought on slave ships to the United States, freed and sent home and came back and established churches in that place. One of the most beautiful things that they did was offer a gift uh, upon their freedom after the Supreme Court ruled them free and they were sent back to their home in Sierra Leone. Uh, they wrote a letter and offered a gift uh, to former President John Quincy Adams. And uh, it's a beautiful letter. You can see here it's hard to read. I had a translation of it here on the platform and someone has stolen it. So if you have it, I could summarize what I remember from it, but I don't know why someone wants my notes, but they do. Um, this is essentially what they said, thank you, Mr. President. They call him the big chief, right? He's the chief of chiefs uh, in the United States. Thank you for taking on our case. Thank you for loving the Mende people. They said, you were our lawyer, so we gathered the money we could gather. I'm sure it wasn't much, and they offered to pay him, but they said, you wouldn't take our money because you love God and you love the Mende people. And they offered him a Bible, and in the Bible, each of them signed it. You can see on the next page that they, uh, they wrote their signatures, and they said, some of us can't write. I can't believe whoever it is that their handwriting is better than most of the people I know here on the West Side. Um, and they were just in prison for a while here in the United States. But they write this letter and they offer it to the president. And they remind him that we're gonna go back to Sierra Leone and every morning we're gonna wake up and pray for you. And before we go to bed at night, we're gonna pray for you. And this is what I want you to hear. If you're willing, like those missionaries that they thought they looked sad and drab and depressed and they're not that great as singers, but they just were faithful enough to say, hey, let me tell you a little bit about the love of Jesus. If you're willing to push through that awkwardness, there are millions of people both in our city and across the globe that are so dying to hear that story, they will be immensely grateful to you for the rest of your life for sharing that story. And so what we can't do are be the people that hold on to it for us. It's the story everyone is made to know 
And when we invite people into a relationship and into the story of Jesus, it's the greatest gift we can offer. Too often the church has just not done it well. We've done it in ways that don't feel human, right? We, we put down tracks and we decide, let's give them to waiters instead of tips. We'll give them the really good news of Jesus instead of tipping them. No, tip them <laughs> and get to know them and be human and in relationship and, as we, and open our homes to people. And as we do, we open our homes and our hearts and our lives and we get to tell people who Jesus is and what he means to us. And that's the most meaningful thing we can do. And Ecclesia on the West Side, we ought to do it in a way that looks like us. There's no program to it. There's no way for us to tidy it up and make it really simple and clean. What it is is we live our lives and we live out the story of Jesus. And when people ask us, why do you live that way? We get to say, my hope is not in the things of this world. My hope rests on the other side. And so whatever I have in this world is fine by me, but I'm going to invest most of what I have and what I believe matters most. And that's the life that many want to see. So as we come to communion, will you give me a moment just to pray for you and with you? Lord God, we thank you that not only are the Mende people from Sierra Leone people that were longing to hear the story of Jesus and that even with a little bit of information, they were ready to believe in a savior that came, that made all things, that loves all people and was ready to redeem all people. Lord, we also believe that our neighbors and our friends long to hear and know that story. Lord, we know that in our hearts we want to live out that story. And so today, Lord, we ask you to bless this bread. We pray that it would be a physical reminder of your love for us and the way you've called us to love one another. We thank you today for this cup, for this wine and juice that says to each and every one of us that forgiveness is real. That whoever we are, whatever we've done, even people like John Newton, who was one of the kinds of people that would run a slave ship, that would capture people and mistreat them and sell them, that ultimately even John Newton came to an understanding as a slave trader that he was loved by God and he wrote in amazing grace, what a wretch I am. Lord, may we also live into that beauty and understanding that our sins have been forgiven and that you love us no matter who we are and no matter what we've done. And so today, God, we come to this table ready to celebrate your love and your grace. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.